Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Chris Riley is our guest this week. Greetings, Chris. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun. I run the Exoskeleton Arts Space in Los Angeles and host infrequent art openings and events there and run the Exoskeletal Newsletter, which is a somewhat frequently sent email newsletter. I'm also an experience director at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist and educator based out of Chicago, uh, CNC evangelist, noted tall person. I'm a he, his kind of guy. Uh, I'm Chris Riley. I am an artist and I just moved into a house in Detroit uh, with an awesome dog. And I'm excited to talk about my book collection. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. So, Chris, you had a, a big show this year. I did, yeah. So uh, I had a solo exhibition um, here in Detroit at a gallery called uh, Cave. Um, I, I'm sorry I trailed off. I am uh, rebooting my artificial pancreas here. Um, nice. So, yeah. Did you do that uh, just for us? No, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not. Um, uh, yeah, so the, the show at Cave, um, so uh, just to give a little bit of context, Cave is a gallery collective uh, in Detroit, and it's run out of this uh, really amazing in the, <laughs> or I don't know, it's a hilarious uh, industrial building here in Detroit that is called the Russell Industrial Center that's this giant um, former uh auto parts factory it's like two million square feet so they have like a small chunk of that space uh and so it's run by a group of artists they they bring folks in locally and you know nationally and internationally to to do art exhibits there uh so i had a series of um sort of sculptural and video and software installations that were uh all kind of various forms of um, self-portraits uh, and clocks. So uh, oh. dealing, it was a lot dealing with sort of like, um, you know, my my physical body and, and my relationship with my own sort of physical presence, uh, you know, with, with time and sort of like cycles, uh, both in terms of like relationships and biological cycles. Uh, and also dealing with uh, sort of like synesthesia and kind of like overlapping of senses. Um, so some were just, well, one installation was just sort of like a static, um, or not static, but a, a linear video sequence that would, would just loop. Um, and I made that in uh, 2015 on uh, a residency, uh, an artist residency in Iceland. Um, and so when I was there, uh, I was there for a couple months, and that was during the summer. Um, you know, because they're so far north, you get the the twenty four hours of sunlight uh, in the summer, which just is amazing and beautiful, but also made me go kind of nuts. Um, I was also, you know, at the time of going out there, you know, really kind of trying to like reinvent myself in a lot of facets of my life, uh, and. <laughs> didn't I feel like I sort of failed at <laughs> that reinvention? Um, it, you know, it's that it's the kind of thing of like everywhere you go, there you are. Um, but I, you know, I was able to sort of collect a lot of uh, collect a lot of uh, photography and a lot of video. And um, while I was there, uh, I made this little short animation that was just sort of like this. It was almost like a visual diary of like what it's like to be there in this place where I'm like in a totally foreign, you know, location, um, don't speak the language, even though a lot of people there spoke English, uh, you know, trying desperately to sort of like fit this, you know, very major sort of like creative and personal life shift into the two month time period and, you know, staying up for like, you know, 36 hours at a time, uh, because it's light all day. So <laughs> that's sort of like, um, manic energy that, that comes out of that experience was sort of like channeled into this, into this animation. Um, or it's kind of like a combination of video and, and animation. Um, and there was another, so that was another example of, uh, you know, one of these ways that I, that I, uh, do try to play with photography where I was, um, you know, taking video and photographs of, um, you know, the, the area around the residency also of myself, 
and kind of running those through different software processes. So uh, there's this one called photogrammetry where you can take sort of a bunch of um, individual photographs of, of a thing from different angles and kind of stitch them all together into a three-dimensional version of that thing. Um, so that was one of the installations in this show. Then the third piece is uh, a, a large video projection um, that is uh, this, uh, again, a kind of like a video collage uh, that is a software-generated clock. So it's, um, you know, going through these different compositions, uh, doing doing different things based on, you know, the, the month, the day, the year, the hour, things like that. Uh, but all sort of like um, revolving around self-portraiture. Uh, so yeah, that, so that was a big show, and um, it <laughs> it came together in a in a pretty uh, ridiculous way in terms of what. So, so um, a thing that was happening, you know, while I was uh, prepping for the show uh, was that the the building, so that that Russell Industrial Center that I mentioned. Um, house a lot of artist studios in Detroit, um, including mine, and uh, probably three or four months before the exhibition, the city came and shut down the whole building uh, because oh, of code violations. Yeah, and, Your you know... Well, that was that was one of the lines that they used. The, the, the ghost ship fire in San Francisco had kind of um, pushed a lot of uh, cities to, to sort of crack down on these, you know, kind of uh, loosely run artist spaces. Uh, my sense is, or, or I would say the more likely thing is that um, someone wanted to buy the building uh, and yeah. the owner turned them down. And so, you know, that person uh, got upset and pushed the city to, to sort of crack down. Well, with this in mind, Rob, why don't you uh, lay it on us? Let's do it. So we got what looks like a scan of a uh, book cover, 20 Lessons in Domestic Science, which is the font and the uh, title and so forth are indicators that this is probably a somewhat old, old-timey tome. It has that color scheme as well, olive yeah. and very <laughs> orange. Uh, I also see like what looks like maybe some sort of a library, uh, a long numeric mm -hmm. code on a sticker. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a picture of, I think that's like a double boiler, maybe a fondue pot. Yeah. <laughs> Steaming, smoking. By uh, Marion Cole Fisher. Uh, second page is a spread from the same from the same publication. It looks kind of pamphlety. Maybe that's just the way the scan flattens it out. A bunch of great uh, black and white illustrations of cross sections of cheese and lamb chops and things like that. I see the, uh, yeah, water, comp water, fat, and protein composition of cottage cheese. Mm. This is great. There's like these weird uh, sort of like graphs of, oh, this is really cool. So it's like, okay, yeah. imagine like a, um, a pie chart, but it's shaped like a pork chop. And, uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> pork it's chart. a pork chop chart. Yeah. Yep. Uh, pork chop chart. Th this, uh, wow, this is amazing. So they've like mapped out all the different compositions of these food materials. Um, so I see... A pork chop is 16.9, I guess that's percent protein, 30.1% fat, uh, oh, 1% ash. Wow. <laughs> mm. With a, with a fuel part. value of 1,580 calories per pound. I find that hard to believe. Is that true? I mean, a pound I mean, of meat, a, a a pound of meat is be. a lot. I guess I can't argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's sort of this pre-digital, but kind of digital-looking. So everything's been broken down into really graphic form, although clearly created in a pre-digital setting. But then the third image shows this moving into the computer in some way. Yeah, so I see a projection of uh, one of these graphics of a whole egg. Uh, looks like you're projecting it onto like a piece of wood. Oh, perhaps he's yep. just going to trace it. I think that's the next picture. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. So tracing it with a uh, one of those like uh, 
El Cheapo Bic like a uh, mechanical, mechanical pencil. pencils. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I'm a little I'm a uh, little disappointed that you didn't go closer to the actual edges. <laughs> I did. I just I just hit it with I just hit the board with my hand. Oh, it, it knocked the edges off. That's yeah. the worst. I oh wow! Know, and man. I mean, look at the top of the O, Rob. I th- I think that we got to bust you on this one, man. That O is very <laughs> craggy. You did not capture all those cracks. And you missed the little blip over the eight. Jeez, man. Dude. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. All right. And this now you're like all about disappointment for me so far. Right. You're uh, <laughs> using a router. It looks like. Uh, in the in the early morning sun, <laughs> it is a heavenly router. Uh, yeah, Rob has a. It looks like Rob has been practicing working on his routing technique. This has come up in other opposable thumbs projects. So he's following the lines, and then we see um, the image reproduced where the black areas are the negative shapes. So he's carved away the black and then lit it harshly from the edge of raking light to um, reproduce that image. So that's the last one, right? 107? Oh, no, there's more. Now that goes to 201. Let's see what's the in The physics of sound in the sea. Department of the Navy from 1969. There's an attraction also to the, the, like the graphical style that comes with a lot of like this era of, um, yeah. of publications. Uh, that like I I feel like I have a, a kindred spirit somewhere inside of me that likes them too. As we get towards the end, things start to get quite cryptic in a way that's exciting me. So, the physics of sound in the sea is another cover uh, released by the Department of the Navy, and then uh, we see a page reproduced from the actual book, a bunch of math equations um, about intensity fluctuations and observed fluctuations, presumably of a signal or a wave or something like that. Reverberation then, amplitude produced by many individual echoes. That's great. Indeed. But now it gives away to some text that they appear oh. to be instructions for us. So I'm seeing a little link here to Tiny Letter. Um, and Rob, I feel like also your projects have gotten a lot more writerly. I have a good editor now. Yeah, yeah right? That helps. So then uh, this links out to a website that... Um, Appears to have, I don't know, uh, Chris. How would you characterize that tiled background image? Uh, I don't know that I'm seeing that. Hang on. Oh wow! Grafting um, a dorsal fin onto a amputated. Um, yeah, that's a, of some kind. Is it? Well, it's like a um, almost like a tuna. Like how to? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Some sort of a hook. Uh, Sewing, <laughs> yeah, like a like a fin onto a weird man. What the fuck? <laughs> I love like it. I'm totally into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it looks like um, I'm wondering if we should bring Rob in on this because we want to make sure that we're not just reading writing aloud. But it would appear that Rob, in the first instance, was converting this um, book from his bookshelf into a physical object. But then in this case, the conversion has more to do with writing. He's also commanded us to check our email, and I don't know if that means me, but I'm checking my email. Yeah. And sure enough, I have an email, uh, which says functional fixedness is a concept I learned about this year. It is a term created by a gestalt psychologist to describe an inclination to see an object only the way it is traditionally used. Oh, that sounds cool. Oh, I didn't so, get the email. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, I did. Oh, yeah, I you got the, you got the bad it. internet connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, Rob, what, what, what do you think about uh, what do you think about taking over a little bit so that we, um, sure. we keep it lively? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, um, yeah, so I, I, so our challenge was interpret the cosmology of your book collection mm-hmm. given to us by Sarah Schnatt. Um, so I, I, uh, ironically, this is a, a practice that I've engaged in quite a bit over the past um, about three years, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was happy that I was like, oh, this is a challenge that I actually kind of already have an approach on, which um, Chris, you may talk about in your in your challenge. It's it's often difficult to find your way into a project and then also execute it in, in two weeks. Oh, so, totally. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I was happy that I was like immediately like, okay, I have, I have at least practice in the challenge. How am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. And so um, there was two ways. So Open Library is a project by archive.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of Open Library as my book collection because it's – I spend hours – per month digging into open library and like searching on things and seeing what comes back. Um, it's a really cool resource. You can get PDFs of many books. Um, you can also, uh, sort of virtually check out a book. Um, if you use Adobe has this horrible piece of software called digital editions, <laughs> which allows you to sort of check out a book through open library. And so like, uh, and then also you can like get in line. So if someone else has it checked out, you can say like, email me when it becomes available and then you'll get an email from hmm. open library and you can then check it out afterwards, which is really cool. Um, but I have, uh, I have a relationship to old illustration that I, um, keep sort of coming back to that. And, and all of the images that you've seen that, uh, Chris and Taylor are seeing are, are sort of antiquated or older. And by older, I mean, typically like somewhere from the nineties, back to the early or the late 1800s early 1900s um because i feel like and this gets chris into me sort of being curious about your work is i feel like photography um and i think chris you you handle this particularly well but i feel like photography we're so saturated as a society in photography right that to take someone to a different place now sort of has it has a new kind of challenge to it and i think illustration mm-hmm. is tackling that in a kind of interesting way that you can sort of take someone to a almost like a surreal place or a non-place totally through through drawing uh but i can't draw so <laughs> so uh and so so i like looking at other people's drawings and typically what i use is open library to and i search on like um maybe like uh machine tool illustration or Mm -hmm. biology Mm -hmm. illustration um or whatever and so uh the first project i did is a is a a continuation of a different project that i started on a different opposable thumbs episode where i was um making a sort of uh wooden container for my for my cooking gear uh so i could sort of go imagine sort of going off planet and so i i made a cover or a front case for that um for that box and I wanted to make it look cool. And so what I decided to do was look through old food science books from the Mm twenties. And I got to that image about this, uh, these like these weird illustrations, um, that you guys were describing that sort of break down the food components. And there is a really weird trend in some of them where they talk about ash. And I have no idea what that it's like a term we don't even use and so i don't even know like in that way and so i have no idea what they mean but it makes up like one percent of many <laughs> many foods yeah, but i really I can, don't don't understand I what forward it is. an idea which is because we arrive at the calorie distinction based on burning things right and noting the change in temperature yep. yeah so yeah i, w- right, I would imagine right. that if you burn something oh. and there's ash left that material was not yes. converted into calories so perhaps that's what they're doing yes yeah, that's the re- residual. Yeah, it's in cottage cheese. It's in the cottage cheese diagram. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so there's like one point eight percent ash. I wonder if that could be like. Uh, I wonder if that's potassium. That's sometimes called potash. Uh, uh-huh. Look at this guy. But that Very also yep. seems like a really specific thing to potash. To, to point out uh, when you're not talking about like other like really specific, you know, trace element or minerals or things like that. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So, and so one of the techniques I've been trying to hone, uh, is this idea of like taking a an LCD projector and projecting an image onto wood and then taking a trim router and like routing out the image into the wood. So sort of, um, and and the the process of projecting the image onto the wood it sort of weirds it up a little bit because it mm-hmm. typically has like slight keystoning or something and so it doesn't look like um an exact reproduction or like a silk screen of the image onto the wood it has this kind of weird other shape that's kind of hard to diagnose yeah. um, which i like um and then the last two parts are 
yeah, I have this ongoing email series that is a part of the kind of exoskeleton project that I do uh, that, again, takes an illustration from a sort of antiquated or weird. The, the thing that's weird about books, right, is is around the 1990s, people stopped using illustration heavily, particularly in the, around the 70s, but then it happened again in the 90s because digital photography, like digital printing made photography so easy to reproduce into books. Um and you just didn't pay an illustrator anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. you could go get a stock photo of someone like, in, you know, uh, injecting a mouse or something yeah. <laughs> as opposed to having someone draw it. Hold, you know? Holding so, a soldering iron by the hot part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so illustration really has kind of fallen out of most books um, in this really interesting way that so um, I, I'm, I'm forced to kind of go back in time to find those. But uh so I, I'm reviving through this project. Uh, I used to have a kind of weekly email practice that I got up to about the 30th um, email. And then I kind of tailed off because life got in the way and I burned out. But I'm trying to revive it again. So I just, um, while you guys, while we were talking earlier today, I just sent the 31st email, which <laughs> nice. is what you got in your in your inbox. That's Very awesome. Sweet. I'm glad you could use this as a, yeah, as a creative spur. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. That's that's um and that's part of one of the things Taylor and I've talked about is we hope that works for guests, but we also hope that that works. It work the podcast works that way for us as well where we mm-hmm. it sort of prompts us to push something that we're already working on or sort of pushes us through even when we don't want to to be like, okay, I just got to make something like 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 people who are quote unquote creative need that push also mm, you know, so. absolutely yeah awesome. excellent work it's a really multifaceted one and one that i feel like you you've generated so much material there's not enough time to break it down fully so i think listeners will be particularly interested by the uh the documentation portion of that one yeah it's the fringe benefit too of having approached a topic before you yeah, know right. <laughs> where you can just sort of chew right yeah, through a right number up. of different ideas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i didn't have that week of sitting there being like what am i gonna do you know <laughs> which i always do so yeah. so speaking speaking of chris uh you've you've uploaded some files for us yeah so um look at the first video and then the the two amazon links and then the image sounds good so the first um taylor i'm looking at a video called book sort yeah should should we hit should we hit play right now yeah do it i'm buffering buffering i'm going are you going i'm going yep so i see a, a a fast mo version of chris or some other similarly bearish fellow uh <laughs> organizing a bunch of books on the floor of what i assume is his new house yeah that time time lapse taylor is that right what that is mm-hmm. yeah you get the term i'm kind of wondering if he's organizing them by by visually because they appear to be quite small to the left and they grow larger with more uh intricate covers to the right oh yeah there's some like knolling style processes going <laughs> on <laughs> I'm downloading. So Taylor, if you want, feel free to take number two and I'll do number three. How's that? Oh yeah. So one thing, so Chris, you moved into a new house, right? One thing that I'm interested in is the way that your outlets appear to be installed by a toddler. (laughs) As are many of the uh, core features of the house. (laughs) There's an outlet that's a, uh, in accordance with code, the right-hand side is one millimeter off the ground, and the left hand is three inches. <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> so, okay, let me go ahead and play this uh, video. So now uh, the books are coming back out. Um, I don't think I see any familiar books from last time. Uh, nope, no, no, those some of those look familiar. So perhaps what we're looking at here is a set of books that's being organized in multiple ways. Uh, here there's four major piles but then that went on to become two major piles and i'm also getting this interesting uh distortion between um these different moments which i'm i'm assuming is not just a a slack uh (laughs) compression issue but the um so the books are coming out again and again kind of like poetry concrete where it's being they're being laid out in a fashion that is appears to have some kind of meaning yeah. Oh, yeah, there's Calvino and Lolito moving around. We've got now two piles. 
<laughs> oh, but we've got, oh, okay. There's like a weird wedge of books that sort of spans the two clumps. Mm -hmm. uh, let me go. I'll Looks go like the dog gets three. involved in the third one here. <laughs> oh, we get to see Chris's dog. Okay, so, oh, look at that dog. So cute. Yeah, he's okay, great. Okay, I got to stop. I got to rewind. That dog is the cutest. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I got to go with, look at, re-look at this without the dog. Okay. Re oh, oh, now they're being stacked. They're being stacked. They're being lined up again. Because you're very cute dog. Is very <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, again, some resorting, but we're not sure. We're not totally sure what, but there's, I think, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood that I can see now. Yeah, I think we'll need to move on to the uh, other materials to bring it into focus. Yeah. So there's an image and there's an, an Amazon link. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> One is yeah. The American Boy's yeah. Handy Book by Daniel Beard, which is an awesome, awesome, awesome book. Uh, the other one, I've got a copy of Syllabus, which is by uh, Linda Berry, where she talks about, yep. she got this really bizarro academic position, which is like um, professor of creative experiences or <laughs> something just totally up in the air. And so she teaches this great drawing class, um, taking some of her assignments from my colleague at Columbia College. Um, why am I drawing a blank in his name? The uh, cartoonist, the illustrator, Ivan Brunetti. Oh, um, Ivan Brunetti. Yeah. One, oh, of, yeah. one of the great ones in there, which I know Brunetti does, is they say, you know, you have to draw <coughs> a grid, a grid of nine squares on paper. And then he says, you know, draw a castle in the first square in two minutes. And everyone's like, two minutes, that's not enough time. But then you say, you know, draw one in one minute and so on. And the last castle, I think, is like three seconds. And you get to kind of see how far you can break that image down before it, you know, completely loses all meaning. That's cool. It's a great book. Yeah, but you can see how that relates to what Chris is doing here, where he's sort of reclassifying these pieces of information. We don't really think about the book as being, you have to read all of its contents for it to do its work. But in this case, it's the book is like a stand-in for an idea, and then a stack of books is a stand-in for a sort of larger idea, I'm assuming. Oh, that's good. So if you think about a book, like what does language have to do to do its job, right? Like, say you're delivering a speech, you know, you would like to imagine that your entire speech has to be received for the speech to do the work. But then you could also make the argument like, well, it's a bunch of like-minded people. We're all in the same area. We're all getting fired up around the same general topic. And then you can ask like, well, does it matter if somebody wasn't paying attention for a second and eating an ice cream cone or whatever? Like, how far... Like, to what extent is the container just as important as the textual content? And so I think here, Chris is taking the book as a unit. It's representing an idea. It's the physical manifestation. And then putting those together in a clump um, talks about an even broader idea without the need to actually dig in and know every word in every one of those books. Oh. Yeah, man. Dude. Chris, how do we... How do we do? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I guess like when I was thinking about the, the prompts, like breaking it down, uh, you know, like the, the cosmology, um, especially was the word that I sort of thought about a lot, yeah. you know, in terms yeah, yeah. of like, yep. you know, that can be sort of like um, from an astronomy standpoint of like, what are all the constellations of the books that I own? Um but also sort of like from a metaphysics standpoint of just like, what is the origin of all of this, you know, like oh, this one uh -huh. form of knowledge, um, you know, and how does that sort of relate to just like, to like me being <laughs> right now. Um, so, so basically what I, uh, you know, so like I went through many different modes of like sorting through my books, which was, you know, I needed to do anyway, cause it's like, I'm unpacking and I've literally, that yeah, was right. like the first time they were out of their boxes in this new house. Um, so that was really interesting too. And then because, you know, half of them I had forgotten that, that they were here, you know, like when I um, moved out of my old place a, a couple of years ago, I, I brought a bunch of stuff to my office. So it's like this weird sort of subset of like non-academic books, but, and like slightly more sentimental books maybe. Um, 
So yeah, it was cool to kind of go through and I went through, I sorted them chronologically. I sorted them by uh, books that I had read versus not read or read versus partially read. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think Taylor's kind of spot on in terms of thinking about it as there, yeah, there's, there, you can, you can drill down into every single word of a book, or you can think of it as like a node in this, in this network of, of knowledge or of like ways of thinking, I guess. Um, uh, and there it is in one sentence. Yeah. Go. So like what I ended up doing was picking, uh, two books kind of from the, the ends of the chronological spectrum, uh, the, the American Boys Handy Book was the oldest one that I had, um, or the one that, was t- that to me was the oldest. Uh, and then Syllabus yeah. was probably one of maybe like two or three most recent books. Um, so I, I was just kind of thought it would be interesting to be like, okay, well, like if we're thinking, of, if I'm thinking about it in this way of like this, this could be kind of like the origin of a lot of the things that I'm thinking about. Um, you know, what would it look like to, to look at like a starting point and a current point? Um, so I, I looked at these two books and, uh, you know, the American Boys Handy Book is this really great kind of like super early DIY uh, sort of activity book for kids that has all sorts of like just really interesting, but also like by today's standards, like ridiculously dangerous and kind of crazy yeah. things. Like there's a section on uh, taxidermy, um, you know. It's, it's, that involves, that involves, you know, procuring like, uh, arsenic powder or something like that. So, um, really, really (laughs) old school ways of, of thinking about sort of what it means to be a kid, but also like, you know, pretty radical in terms of, um, how it would teach a young person to sort of build things. And, you know, I, I think it goes right along with a lot of this mentality that we're talking about in terms of like thinking about the rules of something like photography and like, how could you, um, you know, how would you mess with that? Or, or, you know, even just the, the, the notion that you don't have to sort of take it at face value, uh, I think is really interesting and, and similar to Rob, it, 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 you know, to Rob's aesthetic, it comes with these really great and weird sort of diagrams, um, and, you know, sort of drawings. Uh, so I, I sort of was looking at that, um, as this kind of, it's a very physically oriented book, you know, um, it's a lot about just like how to construct these things, um, and contrasting it with the, the syllabus book, which is, is, you know, equally great in its own right in terms of, uh, you know, laying out approaches, uh, both to drawing, but also, but really to sort of like accessing, you know, um, you could call it like right brain thinking or like perceptual thinking or holistic mm. thinking, you uh-huh. know, that kind of comes through those processes. Um, so sort of like tapping into your unconscious, uh, in, in ways that can be really beneficial, which, um, so, so to me, you know, um, that's one of the kind of biggest takeaways from, from being an artist is, uh, sort of framing it like that, that it's not, it's not necessarily about sort of like physical skill or, uh, you know, adhering to a tradition it's about being able to tap into your unconscious um and kind of figuring out strategies for for charting those you know processes to when you're going down a path of like i don't know what i'm going to do or where it's going to go um and and sort of being able to feel okay with that even if it doesn't end up even if it does end up as a as a failure which i do <laughs> i would say that uh my end result was was pretty much a failure even though the the you know the narrative is still pretty interesting to talk about um so what i was thinking about doing is this, I was like how could i sort of combine you know these these two facets of you know my book cosmology uh one of which is sort of like very physical very kind of like practical um and the other, which is, you know, much more kind of like psychological or unconscious. Um, mm. And so I was like, all right, well, one of the things I, I had always wanted to try from that American Boys Handy Book was um, there's a section on making uh, balloons. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make uh, balloons that I can sort of like, and, and they're, they're hot air balloons. Um, so, so they have these patterns for making your own hot air balloons and talk about how to sort of like heat them up and get them to float around. So I was like, all right. Um, at the same time that I'm thinking about all these things, I'm, I'm in this house that's like in shambles, uh, 
You know, it's there are like piles of contractor bags and all of this, you know, construction debris kind of everywhere. So I'm like, okay, I need to, uh, and we just had like a giant snowstorm. So I'm like, I'm not going to go trek to the art supply store. Like I'm going to use what's here and I'm going to kind of like see how this goes. So I ended up trying to make, I ended up trying to make these balloons, um, to the pattern from, uh, construction debris. (laughs) So I ended up, I have, uh, two, basically like two and a quarter balloons got made, uh, neither, none of which floated, um, so I have these like balloons of lost mojo is kind of how I feel about them, um, which which is sort of uh, apt, you know. Again, in terms of just feeling like I'm in this place where I'm just like, oh, I don't really know where my sort of creative um, fire is at the moment. Uh, so it sort of makes sense that I would make these balloons that then just sort of like fall and, like limply to the floor. Oh yeah. I've yeah, there, man. yeah. <laughs> I, I, so yeah, so Chris did send us a photo of the balloons, uh, and they one is looks maybe made out of white paper or or has Tyler a sort of white paper something. kind of look to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the other one looks like um, yeah, more of like a contractory bag or like yep. thin, yep, so like grocery style bag. Uh, out I think of if plastic. you just sold it as plastic. an inflatable onion, we'd think it worked out great. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one of the, so one of the really interesting things was that I, so I was making these, um, to pretty small scale. Like the design was for like a four foot high balloon. Um, so at first I was just like, well, all right, I'm going to try this at a small scale and I'll kind of see, but you know, one of the, one of the sort of engineering things that I didn't think through was this idea of just like, you know, again, on that, on that sort of like very basic pragmatic physical level, the, the, you know, volume to uh to mass ratio so it's like when you're making these small balloons they're way heavier in proportion to uh, you right. know if you're mm-hmm. if you're using the same material if they're much bigger uh you know th- there's a lot more volume inside of them uh as a larger balloon to fill up with hot air and float but when they're small uh they're they're proportionally like way way heavier so um i think that's what ended up biting me <laughs> i mean the deflated balloon has its own like sort of poetry to it uh but but my yeah. initial idea was like oh cool i'll like make a you know a few of these balloons and just sort of like float them around in my like weird sort of like semi destroyed house <laughs> and that will sort of like that'll be my sort of like smudge ceremony to like you know um yes. welcome this new yeah. like unconscious creative process you know into my physical space i kind of That's feel like cool. you still have to do that though can, yeah can you i think make them bigger yeah. Yes, so I have I have a partially completed like a four foot high one that I'm, I'm going to try oh, to that's what I was looking for. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, I really like your point though. I mean, a deflated balloon is very like hashtag 2017. Dude, you know? Tell me, right? So uh, in some senses, I'm like, oh, this really isn't that bad. It just it kind of makes sense for where everything is at right now. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, when uh, when Roy Moore got defeated. I felt a bunch of muscles in my body relax. I was like, oh, I didn't realize that those had been tight for a year. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. Yeah, it's totally crazy. Chris, I, I think these are a total success. I, I mean, I, I feel where you're coming from, but yeah. I think you nailed it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, so it's like a little eight-minute podcast. I called up a friend of mine who's a cosmologist. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Like, literally, that's what his de- He was in the cosmology department in South wow. Africa. Um, so it's a little audio piece and, uh, okay. we can listen to it. I imagine the comments we make as it goes can be overlaid. Yeah. Um, so we should all yeah, start it at it the in. same time. I'll, I'll load it up on my end too. One, two, three, go. <laughs> Awesome. So I'm hearing this kind of amazing, uh, like synth music. Oh, this is no. You're, this is Doctor Hugh theme. Like if you're thinking about the books that you have that form your abstract bookshelf. Okay, so you're interviewing this guy about um, an abstract sort of bookshelf. Ramming that into this notion of cosmology. <laughs> 
How would you then organize the ideas and things that so can be So basically getting him to do all the work shelf. for you. I mean, oh, yeah, you exactly. say cosmology and what I think about <laughs> cosmology, like that's, I definitely go to the a- science cosmo- of the, <laughs> the universe and yeah, the, right. uh, like the origin, basically the origins of the universe. Because mm-hmm. th- that was really what I was, um, like the area that I did, that I studied was, very involved with cosmology. And when I did my postdoc, I was actually in the cosmology. Whoa. I just thought I was asking sure. some high school buddy of mine to talk <laughs> on this thing, but it turns so out he's an expert. Deal, man. <laughs> no, I am an, I am an expert, <laughs> subject matter expert. Cause, so A, you have cosmology locked down just in the literal, like that's what it is. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, two, but I have, on the bookshelf that especially the bookshelf that i'm looking at mm-hmm. right now which is in my office convenient are all physics they're pretty much all physics books actually yeah um this is where i keep my physics books and several of them are um related you can i go grab some and just show you what i have yeah please <laughs> so let's just grab a couple mm-hmm. so this makes me curious to know more about this, the, the genesis of this uh, prompt a book about black yep. holes like brought up black holes and um, sort of figured them out in the, the physics around it. Another one is quantum gravity, which is very of cosmology. And also, actually, this is not this is not um, science related. Well, not really, but have this book, which nice. is sort of cosmology. Guide to the Bible. It's, but it's super interesting. It's a really great book. It's super interesting. It's basically it's Asimov goes through the whole Bible, Golden New Testament, and explains everything, like, from a historical context. That sounds yeah. amazing. From a religious context. It's very interesting. Yeah, I think the we, we have a uh, an annotated Bible that Audrey uh, got out of some class in undergrad where it was they were reading the Bible as literature. Um, and then, yeah. And that professor had been around so long that Audrey's mom took the same class from the same <laughs> guy. <laughs> nice. But... But the only one, I mean, we never read that thing. The only one that's actually gotten any um, mileage in our house is uh, Robert Crumb did a whole Old Testament illustrated. Yes, that one's awesome. And he's he's like a really talented uh, drafts person, but generally tended to do stuff of very low moral character. So then he did a whole illustrated Bible, and it's super amazing in part because he doesn't, overdo it right and so i mean there's so much of the bible particularly the old testament that's so over the top anyway but um the moral yeah. the moral to the story is that uh, both alex and i have uh, uh young kids and uh charlie was kind of looking at the robert crumb thing and i was saying to audrey you know well is this a book that we, we should keep away from her because i don't want her to start getting ideas about religion or whatever. And Audrey was like, all she reads about is talking animals and shit anyway. Like, <laughs> like this is, this is right, right on the same track. So, so that did make me feel better. One more fantasy. Exactly. Fiction wise. I mean, I don't tend to um, read a lot of science fiction anymore. I used to read a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is it really annoys me when science, what, non-realistic science fiction yeah yeah ooh, like if, ooh, I can, examples. if i can point if i can find some if i see something in a science fiction book that i'm like that's just that's not the concept behind it then uh-huh. I, i'm i'm really annoyed sure sure i mean I, I think that there's a there's a degree of field specificity for everyone right like depictions of the fine arts are super annoying yeah. in almost every <laughs> yeah exactly every single exactly. piece of media i've ever seen um yeah the uh what was the one uh art school confidential if i recall the um the protagonist is the lonely representational artist who is trying you know he's in art school and like oh look at all these assholes that all just you know like puke on a canvas and call it art and you know i'm making like a charcoal a fine charcoal drawing of a janitor or whatever <laughs> and, and then everybody should celebrate this thing that i do uh, that basically anybody can do that just sits down and practices for a while. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I thought that the uh, Asimov book about the Bible was a nice sort of transitional one. So so can you think of some books that you've got on hand that on their face just have nothing to do with this territory, but you, you can make abstract connections back to, to show how they might be related? 
not connected. I mean, I have a I have a book that I actually got when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Picked up from my parents last time I was in Cleveland. Yeah. Work. It's sort of all kinds of cool from like levers to to nuclear whatever and goes through and explains each each piece in very in simplified language. Not specifically cosmology oriented, but it is very much about common things mm-hmm. or common technology things that are different from the way you normally see things. And um, this was in the context of a children's book, he said? It's not, a, it's not exactly a children's book, mm-hmm. um, but it's, I mean, it's something that like a kid could read. Yeah. And it's I, simplified I, down to like... Well, I guess when you think about it, once once something's been simplified enough for a kid to read, like a kid who's learning how to read for the first time is really also trying to establish their position in a sort of unknown and scary context. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like even if it's not explicitly a children's book, the fact that you engaged with it as a kid suggests that it sort of helped you position yourself in that way. So that's that's kind of an elegant metaphor there, I think. Yeah, there you go. I to- that's totally what I meant. Um, yeah, I love how this guy just tolerates. I have, uh, I have on my the, bookshelf the is um, Connect the Dots book that my parents got me. It's it's Connect the Dots, but for adults, not in like a adult um, inappropriate racy way. Yeah, yeah, but in like a there's four hundred dots and and you. It's 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 based on Paris, so it's all like architecture and and places in Paris, and you kind of sketch sketch these out with the thing, and they, it, comes out, it comes out really. So, I mean, that's that's it's really fun to actually do that because it's very intricate. Sure. Um, but it also, I mean, connect the dots in general is it's it's forming a thought or forming a image that isn't there initially but mm-hmm. at the bats to make something become clearer sure yeah well a collection of particles that has no initially discernible pattern but resolves yeah we could do this all day man <laughs> yeah there you go you got any takeout menus in your kitchen <laughs> <laughs> i have that on my bookshelf and takeout really represents the... yeah <laughs> Uh, no, this is this is perfect. I think this will make a really nice little way to sort of communicate what an actual SME has to say about the cosmology of the book. All right, that's great. I love I love the dissonance of like listening to a recording of you and then and also being on the phone with you at the same time. Isn't that weird? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super weird. Yeah. Rob, what'd you think? I still don't. Maybe this is exactly the point. I still don't know what a cosmologist does yeah right <laughs> <laughs> well so so that was a 45 minute conversation that i yeah i edited way down and yeah yeah and i've talked to alex about this before but he um so he's a super smart guy i've known him since middle school and uh the, the legend about him was that he got one b in high school and it was a clerical error that he never bothered to have fixed <laughs> oh. and so like He's just a really smart dude, and he goes all the way up, gets a PhD in string theory, um, goes and works at um, a lab in South Africa where they have a big particle accelerator and all this equipment. Um, Although, as he revealed in our conversation, the the particle accelerator had nothing to do with him. But anyway, so he would talk about having books that are entirely full of mathematical symbols and nothing else so like no narrative or there was a narrative in the math that he could see that you and i couldn't see yeah so he would look at this book and then he would sit on his bed and think about it (laughs) (laughs) like that was that was his research practice because string theory is entirely theoretical right so there's no way to bear it out with experiments so all of the experiments if you could call it that are thought experiments because there's there's just not a way to concretize them. So as we were talking, I kind of felt like, well, I should leave the understanding of cosmology to him. And because like, yeah, I really got into this notion that he, like that's got to change you, right? To understand how the universe works, at least 
probably at that level. So I just yeah. wanted to hear about yeah. like, well, what kind of books do you have in general? Because that <laughs> that must reflect, you know, cosmology in some way. The interesting thing is that so he does not work in that field anymore. Now he works in mm. medical software, and so Whoa. I think huh. I think he went and tried it, and then realized he just absolutely hated academia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I don't, and I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here, but it's it's a really hard field, and um, you know, in like South Africa, I mean, it's cool if your family happens to live there, but he was really far from everybody, and I think there were always like monkeys coming into his yard and ripping down his uh his mailbox or something. <laughs> like he, he he wrote a whole blog wow. about it. That's a literal story. That's that's not a metaphor, but. Um, yeah, so, so, I mean, he did all this thinking and all this research and then decided that he wanted to kind of return to general population and do this other thing that was more, you know, more corporate, more stable and whatever. So I'm really curious what, once he listens to the episode, I'll have to ask for him for some feedback because there's a couple layers. Like, did I just wind up talking over you the whole time? Or, you know, now that you've heard it and thought about it, is there something you'd like to clarify or whatever? So so part of it was just a documentation of our relationship as well. Yeah, which which to me that was the more interesting part is the dynamic between you two. Sure, sure. Yeah, it was it was interesting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a funny and, guy. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any good stories about him. But go ahead, go ahead. Chris. To that end, I I was I I think it left me wanting to hear more about yep, your too. your cosmology Taylor of your sure. of your book collection, oh, you know. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, and how that might contrast with with his yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think so i was thinking about it too and this is from parts of the interview that i cut out um because to me i mean rob you pointed out that we all sort of work in the sciences to an extent but sort of like a gentleman scientist you know of a more innocent time <laughs> and uh-huh. uh and i feel like to me when i heard cosmology i was thinking more of the pantheon so that got me thinking about constellations and sort of if i looked at my bookshelf who are the art uh, who are the authors i really favor yeah part of it for me was because rob does all the editing on the show so i wanted to get in there and sort of figure out what that was all about and alex thinks a lot before he talks you know so part of it was just addressing like getting rid of the clicks and the ums and stuff but then the other part of it was how do i frame this down into a conversation that's engaging and so, so there's a lot of formal stuff to address that didn't necessarily rub up against cosmology at all. Um, but I suppose one of the ways that I've really gone about the projects on the show is the prompt just gets me going, and then I don't really worry so much about where it lands, uh, which certainly opens me up to criticism, you know, by all means. But you're right. Like, this this project is about cosmology and name, but it's really about, you know, my relationship to this person and our conversation and so forth. In a, in a more meta sense too, it, it's a really interesting, you know, it's a very maximal approach that you guys take to the podcast where you're both doing the, um, the challenge. Like I could totally see, you know, two parallel universe, uh, Taylor and Rob's just, you know, <laughs> tapping somebody to be like, Hey, come on our podcast and present your thing. And we'll just sit back, you know, and kind of watch. Yeah. That would be so boring, right? <laughs> Super boring. Yeah. It also put, it, it puts the interviewee at a weird, in a weird, like I did a thing for you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we, we end up sort of, and they end up sort of their work sort of has to prop the whole thing up mm-hmm. where I think what's nice is that's true. Like that's all true. three of our projects, all three of our projects get to interpret the concept differently. Which in a way gives Taylor or anyone some flex to be like, Absolutely. well, it, maybe instead what I, I ended up doing by the time I got to the day of the podcast was I interpreted the book collection of the cosmologist, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is 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 totally great in a way. You know, it's totally like, oh, that's and that's a thing that like Taylor can bring to the concept that. You, you, maybe you and I can't, Chris. You know, or, or, or something Absolutely. like that. So, or, or just yeah. didn't. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Totally could. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I think um, I don't know. I'm I, I'm really looking forward to the day when a guest really throws it back at us and pushes those pushes those boundaries yet farther. The challenge has been laid. <laughs> Speaking of challenges. Oh yeah, Chris. Whoa, segue. Oh, the next Boom. challenge. 
Are you guys ready? Great. That's right. I'm ready. The, oh, we're ready. The next ready. challenge is click training. Oh. Whoa. Interesting. Whoa. Whoa. Click training. Mm-hmm. That's that's all that's all you're giving us. <laughs> do you want well? So that that's a question. Like, do you guys want context on it, or is it is it? Oh no no! I know what click training is. I know right. what it is. It's where you have that little clicker device, and you're training an animal, for example, that when the clicker goes off, that's either a good or a bad thing, right? Right. It's a way. It it is a so so one version of it. It's it's a training technique uh, for training animals um, mm-hmm. that. Oh uses a sound to signal like when a good behavior is happening along yeah. with some sort of a reward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got some ideas already, but I don't know if it would pass um, IRPC or whatever they call that thing. What is that? I, 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 I just totally it. made up that acronym. There's some body that decides <laughs> when you're testing on humans whether or not something's kosher. Oh, yes. Sure, sure, sure. Well, yeah. so this is the thing. IRB, I think, there, I, I think there could be many other ways to interpret it that would be uh, equally interesting. Indeed, but I've got a three-year-old that has to do what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. You should see how that works out. Indeed. Indeed. Right now, it's like uh, right now our inducements are really funny. So it's like if we go upstairs, we can count in animals. <laughs> Chris, did you have any links or anything that you wanted to share for the what we're into section? Uh, I don't actually. Other than well, okay. I think I think the two the the links to the books, the Amazon links, I think would be nice. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, cool. I'm definitely excited by both of those. One of them I, I own, but then got soaked in water, which Daniel Beard would probably appreciate. For yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. That actually activates like a, like a hidden ink section of the book, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the Linda Berry book just looks so cool. It's called Syllabus. It's it's so cool. The cover is so awesome. It's an amazing it book. It's all like she literally yeah. has hand-drawn all of her syllabi. Uh, wow. It's, it's fantastic. Wow. It's, and I, the I've lettering. Gotten, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. That's really that's 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 a, that's two great links. Uh, Taylor, did you have anything? So I've been running uh, a whole bunch of research stuff over the last couple of weeks. I, I'll put a bunch of links online, but I've been researching. Uh, have I? I already talked about flocking on the podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Totally into flocking, but we've been there, done that. I've also been researching uh, with the great staff at Columbia College some uh, CNC processes for etching for copper plate etching which I talked about also in a previous podcast. But the thing that's really blowing my mind right now is if you want to get a large, even area of tone, is if you think about it, if you just scratch a copper plate to oblivion, if the area is wide enough, it'll no longer contain the ink without being wiped out. So wow. it turns out you use this process, Aquatint, which I, I must have heard about in undergrad, but have come back to, where... You take this box and you stir up a bunch of really finely powdered resin, like tree resin, and then you let it sort of run around in there a bit so all the huge chunks fall out of the air, and then you stick your copper plate in and you let it get coated in dust for a couple of seconds, and then you take it out as like as evenly as possible and put it on a hot plate, and then all that dust melts and attaches to the copper. And so what you effectively do is put this like microscopic moiré pattern on the plate that you can then eat away with it with acid. So you get the equivalent of a large flat area of black or gray, depending on how long the acid eats in. So that's cool. It's this research thing I'm working on, but I'm really excited because I'll be combining um, uh, really old school techniques with CNC techniques and sort of going back and forth. And so I'm, I'm very excited about the prospect of it. But then to Chris's point about, what do we do now and who's our audience and how do we motivate ourselves? I I find it very (laughs) intimidating and also really exciting. So that's something I'm working on. Awesome. That's, that's rad. Yeah. I have one link to share and it is a YouTube uh, channel called Maximus Iron Thumper. (laughs) And he is an off grid iron worker who lives in England. He's so he's a blacksmith and a restorer and he lives on five acres in England. Um, And he lives in this like, totally great interesting uh, junkyard 
uh, in England. So it's like extremely lush and green, but then also it's like he's like here's an axle that I've got off this truck. Like it's a it's really great. And he um, did a really really cool video project. It's a um, it's quite long. It's about uh, a forty five minute video or so. He has many great videos that like restoring cool cast iron gates and stuff. And his work is is really really cool. But the one video he made that just kind of blew me away was he um, made from scrap a a power hammer, which is a thing that blacksmiths use um, instead of having to like pound on iron by hand for like 45 minutes straight. Um, And also so they can, you know, maybe move the material with two hands and have a sort of third arm um, doing the, the pounding. And he just started from like, okay, I've got, I've got this idea I'm going to draw it out. And then he just sort of like starts digging through all the piles of his stuff. And he's like, okay, I've got this old wheel from a Volkswagen or whatever. I'm going to use that. And then I'm going to use this weird, uh, spring, you know, uh, spring, uh, what's the right word? That thing that's on your car. That leaf, leaf spring. spring? Yeah. 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 And just like, he starts putting it together, putting it together. And it's a total study and like creative thinking because he'll have a thing and then he'll try it and it'll kind of fly apart and he'll be like, Nope, that's not going to work. It's too, too much vibration. And so he'll just keep going and going and going. And, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll save the end for you to check out. But the video is called homemade power hammer built for next to nothing. Yeah. Uh, by, uh, by this person, um, Maximus iron thumper, who is really, really great. If I could tell a quick leaf spring story, I, uh, I had a friend who ran a, uh, exotic car repair business in St. Louis and he knew a lot of other businesses in town. And so apparently when you're taking the leaf spring off a car, it's actually really dangerous because that thing, when it, when it, you know, releases its tension, it's like this six foot long giant bar. It'll go flying around. So some guy he knew tried to take one off without the appropriate vice that whole, this is like a purpose built thing. And it just took his nose right off his face. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like getting snapped with like a 200 pound rubber band yes yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah it's i used to work with well. that stuff but uh i could not handle the blacksmith lifestyle let me tell you you can find photos of our finished projects and projects at our site called projects.opposablepodcast.com you can see some great photos of chris's super cute dog and also his deflated balloons hashtag 2017 uh and taylor and my projects as well we'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker just share a podcast episode on social media or rate us on itunes and uh, we'll send you a sticker we'd like to give a shout out to nick kantar and adam van essen as our top patreon supporters thank you nick and adam if you'd like to join them in the league of patreon supported badasses please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us you know rob i think something we should do we should let these guys know what we'll do at different levels of patreon support that just struck me as an oh, that's opportunity right. yeah so if you are a top level patreon supporter we give you a shout out on the show uh nick and adam get a shout out on the show which is a ten dollar a month uh, level if you're a five dollar a month level uh we give you a shout out in our show notes and so we have a number of people in our in our podcast show notes that we give a shout out to and uh if you're a two dollar supporter you're just uh supporting the show and we're super excited to have your two dollars so yeah that's our three tiers but who knows what we'll do for top patreon supporters we could send them weird strange things in the mail we have uh we have some some we have all sorts of tricks up our sleeve for our patreon supporters so if you want to get in on that action just go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. Chris, thank you for being on the podcast. And do you have anything you want to share with us, like websites, activities, that kind of thing? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um the the three links that I wanted to share were uh, the two two links to the books that I discussed, um, the American Boys Handybook and Syllabus, uh, as well yep. as a link to the Primitive Technology YouTube channel, which was another thing that I oh. ended up watching a lot of uh, as awesome. I was sort of you know parsing through these ideas of like how do you make something that is. At the same time, physical, but but also can address some of these sort of like more interesting, unconscious, uh, 
you know, ways of thinking or like holding meaning. Um, and so, so yeah. that's a fantastic channel. If you haven't seen it, uh, they, are, it's a, this series of, um, silent videos, uh, or, or at least, um, no verbal audio videos, uh, with this Australian guy, just wow. like sort of going out into the woods and making, uh, basically primitive, um, tools and shelters, uh, and things like kilns and ovens from scratch using just you know materials that he finds in the wild and it's super mesmerizing to watch yeah that's cool it's a great also like structure of like i'm not going to say anything i'm just going to do it yeah it's ama- and it's so much uh, it's so much kind of more captivating than if he were sort of giving yeah. a verbal tutorial where you're just sort of sitting yep. back and watching um so so to me that's you know that's another really interesting thing is uh these different sorts of processes, like when we're talking about books, is sort of like conscious reading versus, um, you know, other ways of gathering knowledge that that maybe come out of drawing or building things, um, you know, that are that are much different and kind of powerful in different ways. I think than those sorts of yeah. rational, yeah, yeah. linear ways of thinking. And your website is chris-riley.org. Yep. Is that right? Cool. So it's C H R I S dash R E I L L Y dot org. Dot org. Yep. And it is what is it? Nineteen ninety five reinterpreted in <laughs> nineteen ninety three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nineteen ninety three and twenty seventeen. It's awesome. It's, your site sign is is super great. It's like it was like immediately refreshing, like in a way that. <laughs> wow, I appreciate that. Just I appreciate so, that a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Can I read a quote off ChrisRayley dot com real quick? <laughs> who is not, not my who website not somebody else's website yes. momentum is a funny thing the more you use the more you generate whoa anyway whoa. check that guy out you should, uh, you should buy <laughs> yes. he sounds like a go-getter that... oh yeah he does <laughs> he provides solutions that secure value from an organization's most valuable oh, asset good god people, people. <laughs> <laughs> so give you flashbacks bro oh. yeah yeah chrisdriley.com yeah sorry man Hey, it was Zach Yeager. I was interviewing him in jail. <laughs> that was my, my best attempt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that, that, was, what my that tru- was. That was my Truman Capote. <laughs> I took, took a knife to this scalp. <laughs> okay. You can edit that out, Rob. <laughs> Leave it in. Leave it in, I say. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a masochist.